welcome to the Crypt Speakers recap episode of season one. Uh, my name is Ceci Korea, and with me I have uh, Jay Tyler. Welcome to our first season extravaganza. Hooray, we did it. We did it, indeed. Um, so yeah, we wanted to do an episode where we recap the first season and sort of try to think about what our favorite episodes were and why and what our least favorite episodes were and see if we can pick up any themes um, in this first season. So yeah, how do we... So- how do you want to what, start? Well, I, I kind of want to start with kind of what I had said in, in our first episode, the thing that had struck me in doing initial research and really has borne through is um, my favorite thing about this show so far um, is that it really, I would argue, is very much a uh, study and auteurship, if that makes sense that yeah. the episodes feel very defined by the people who are making them and they feel very different from each other. Like there are common themes you kind of see throughout and that's because they're pulling from all the same source of these old fifties comics. So there's kind of like certain themes that crop up and again, but the tone of every episode feels so individualistic. And I really like that. I really like that. This is a true anthology show where it's like, you'd never know what you're going to get episode to episode in terms of tone, in terms of, editing style and i really dig that and i think it's really smart in terms of like if you don't want this episode hey the next one's gonna be completely different so stick around yeah and i think that also makes it difficult because the quality is all over the place it's really all over the place and and it's going to be like as you know we um i didn't highlight this um in our last episode but we've we've only agreed on our ratings for one of these episodes so far like i think we're i'm curious to see what our rankings are going to be because i imagine they are different but um but i think that that's that that is it's one of those things where not every episode is going to be for every person but there's likely going to be an episode that you're really going to dig somewhere along the line for sure um, I really, I really appreciate that. I appreciate how they kind of gave creators freedom to do things like that. Um, the other thing that kind of stood out to me, and this is, I don't want to say this is negative. It's just surprising to me. Um, the Crypt Keeper, at least in this first season, I feel like is a bit of a non-entity, which I was surprised by because he's such a iconic part of the show. Like he is sort of the like poster child of the show yeah and that's honestly what i remember from the show right but the the intros and outros like they're they're super short they they definitely have a density of puns but none of them are like real knee slappers like it's just sort of him like saying oh hey there you go i'm gonna show you this cool i don't think we've talked about this before all the episodes start with this really cool retro comic book art that's clearly mm-hmm. made specifically for the episode because they have the likeness of the actors in them. So it kind of intros those. So those are sometimes a spoiler of like where the episodes are going. And then we sort of just breeze into what are these like little mini 30 minute movies. Um, but like the degree to which he is sort of not, he doesn't really leave an impression, which I yeah. was surprised by. He really gets about three lines before the actual meat mm-hmm. of the episode starts. So really, I think this he's last in the episode show. Was the, 
was the first one where he did a lot of business because like i said he was yeah in that episode he was sitting on the giant head he had his his rubber dog like he just had some stuff to do it's like this is more what i was expecting episode to episode and otherwise he's just like hi i'm here bye yeah he's in some episodes i would say he's in the show maybe two minutes i mean mm-hmm. it's so fast right um and the other the the final thought i had written down the final final thought that i had written down for season one is is kind of twofold i i'm not surprised because horror often swings this way and ec comics certainly did but there's a a lot of um there's sort of in the same way that like the tone of different episodes swings there are some episodes that are clearly making a sort of social commentary within them. Like they're, they're saying something about society and there's some episodes that are not <laughs> like there's some episodes that are just like, here's a kind of scuzzy exploitation horror story that we're just kind of throwing at you. And there's not like a larger point we're trying to make or situation. And the part that surprises me is I kind of like the scuzzier episodes more than I like the social issue episodes to a degree there like there's one that I liked more than some of the others, but for the most part, I I don't know, like I, I think it's I kinda agree with the social episodes. I think that in the case of one, um I actually couldn't I could tell that they were trying to make a statement, but I honestly mm-hmm. couldn't tell what, what statement was. they were trying to make. Because the way that they got there was so just messy. Yeah. No, I think that that's that that's sort of my my takeaway is that I feel like the ones that are making swings at making bigger statements, I I'm, because they're trying to do something more. I'm like, okay, I'm really keyed in. What are you trying to say here? And then when it's muddied, it's like, well, that's kind of disappointing. As opposed to, um, an episode that I liked more than you did, but like an episode like Lover Comes Hack to Me. Or Lover Come Hack to Me. Like, I like that episode because it's just, it's just bananas, weird horror stuff. Like, and Mm -hmm. it has this, like, extended, like, explicit sex scene. Not, like, explicit, explicit. It's not pornography. But, like, but, like, a graphically aggressive sex scene that happens in the middle of the episode. It's like, okay, all right, Tales from the Crypt. I kind of see what you're putting down. It's, it's scuzzy and kind of gross. But at least it has like a an angle to it, whereas yeah, some of those social social commentary episodes, I'm like, all right, I'm not sure what you're saying here, but. So do you yeah. want to get into our ranking? Yeah, let's do our rankings. Okay. Um, did you have any other like broad thoughts about the show that you you had thought of that you wanted to get into before we did that? Recover most of what you were gonna say. Yeah. I think the first season feels like an interesting experiment and mm-hmm. I'm kind of looking forward to see the next season because Once they I kind of settle down I almost feel like they went a little safe. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that is that's a good point. I'm curious to see like as we get deeper into it and like the episodes that people talk about and remember more like how how big are they going to go? Because really there's one episode this season that I would say this couldn't have been done. Like language aside, this couldn't have been done. Maybe two episodes that couldn't have been done on, on network television. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole pitch mm-hmm. of this show is like, yeah. 
we're going to do a horror anthology show like Twilight Zone, like Tales from the Dark Side, but we're on HBO now, so we can do anything. And, there's and yet really they don't t- really take advantage of it. Yeah. There, yeah, I would say there may be one, maybe two episodes that really do that. Yep. Great. Um, so, so let's yeah. get into it. Yeah. Uh, do we want to each say our whole rankings and kind of give little commentaries, or do we want to go like you'd say your six, I say my six? I like you say that. Your five. Yeah. Oh, you want to do that way? Okay. So, Ceci, what is the worst episode of the first season of Tales from the Crypt? The Talking Cat. Uh, just kidding. It's called, uh, it's the one that has the really weird title. I think it's like Dig, Dig That, that cat, cat, He's Really dead. Gone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> See, I couldn't even remember it, right? Yeah. I well, I have it. Dig That Cat, He's Real Gone. And there's yes. an apostrophe, or not apostrophe, what is that? There's uh, uh, ellipses. ellipses in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Dig That Cat, He's Real Gone. Yeah. Uh, directed by Richard Donner. It was such uh, those... a letdown. <laughs> yeah. For those who, uh, you know, need to think back, that is the one about the guy who's working in the freak show who has the ability to come back uh, to life multiple yes. times. I believe this is episode pack-in. three. Episode three. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And it's it's my least favorite one um, because you can see it coming from a mile away. And I think that at the end, it was, it just felt like, okay, well, that sure was an episode of TV. And I didn't really feel like there was much to really sink my teeth into. I didn't really feel like there was anything to leave you really thinking. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I can definitely see that. You know, that, that one, I, I won't give it away here, but that one's fairly low on my list, too, for slightly different reasons. But I that episode, I think... Um, you hit the nail on the head of saying like it kind of telegraphs where it's going pretty early on. Um, even though like, I think the twist on the end of the episode works. It's not like you you don't really believe he's going to get away with it. Um, mm-hmm. So much as like, you just, you're like kind of waiting to like, okay, how did they do this? How did they do this? And then like you said, you have the experience of like realizing at the same moment he does. It's like, Oh, okay. But like, but you're like, Oh, you're like, Oh, which is not necessarily yeah. Yeah. the experience that moment is asking for. So, okay. Um, I'm sure my number six on this is, um, Howard Duch's only send deep. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, I will say, I think I had a higher opinion of this season overall. Like, I don't think, I don't think any of these episodes I would classify, like, you know, I know we have our keeper stinker, uh, duology now that we kind of rate these things on. I, 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 to one degree or another, enjoyed all the episodes that we watched this season, I would say. Some less than others. Um, definitely, this is my least favorite because I think, A, the Leah Thompson performance really bucks me in this episode. And B, I think this is one, that, this is sort of my example of a of a episode that I think is trying to make a social commentary that gets really muddied, that I think might be saying something larger, but gets lost in some frankly kind of misogynistic tropes um but also weirdly like brings in like racially insensitive depictions for no reason Mm -hmm. so i don't know just an episode that definitely left me pretty cold um though the coke party was pretty cool (laughs) that should be the name of this episode the coke party was pretty cool (laughs) yes 
right, Ceci, what is your number five for the first season of Tales from the Crypt? My number five is The Man Who Was Death, which is I the pilot I was pilot awfully episode. surprised that was not your number six, because <laughs> you've been talking Yang about that episode all season. It was close. Yeah. Um, But I... I think, first of all, I really disliked um, the performance of, I'm trying to yeah. remember the actor's name, but his, uh, his character name is Miles. Niles Talbot. Yeah, What is his name? He's the guy who plays Death and Bill and Ted. Yeah. Um, and I just, I hated his accent. And the other thing. William that Sadler. I, that's the actor's name. Yeah. Um but, but he is doing this weird um yeah southern accent that's he, never really it was mind. it was really bad. It was hard to understand. And I also didn't really like the overly stylized shots and just the mm. way the way that certain things were shot. It felt to me like and I really don't want to say something uncharitable, but some of the shots just felt to me like film school 101 where it's like you want to make things look interesting so you kind of tilt the camera a little bit and you use really like extreme lighting it just mm -hmm. felt like it was trying too hard to look i don't know if they were going for artsy i think it was mostly like they were trying so hard to make it either look different or look like a movie but it still didn't quite look like a film i don't i just i just don't know what they were going for visually to be honest sure um and it just it that it just really bothered me the the whole aesthetic of it 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 didn't really just do anything for me and i didn't think that it added anything to the story okay um, and also, this one is one that for me had a weird um, disconnect between, like, what are they trying to say? Yes. No, I, I, I'll, I fully, and I said this on that episode, that like, what, what is the actual like? It's a, it's an episode about the death penalty, like almost inescapably. That that's what that episode is about. And then I walk away. I'm, I have no idea how. The director or yeah. writer feel actually feel about the death penalty. Yeah, which it's is like a failure on that episode's part. Exactly, you can tell they're trying to go for some sort of statement, but they make they don't really make the statement in a way that's clear. Yeah, so it just kind of leaves you feeling like I just don't know what I'm supposed to get out of this. To totally agree with that that point. I guess another thing that I was thinking about is that it actually feels quite dated. Yeah, I mean, to to different degrees, all these episodes do. Uh, let me look over. I'd say all of these, except for maybe one episode, definitely feel like they are from their time. I would say Collection Completed, maybe All Through the House, and maybe uh, yeah. Lover Come Hack kind of have a feel that they could be, I want to say almost- They're more timeless. Yeah. Yes, they're more timeless, even though, like, say, in All Through the House, she, I believe at some point she uses, like, a corded phone. 
Mm-hmm. We don't, yeah, we right. don't have those right. things anymore. It's, it's that kind of thing. Like, it's stuff that they couldn't avoid. Yes. But but other than that, they do feel fairly uh, fairly timeless. Whereas right. to me, uh, The Man Who Was Death really felt like a product of its time and very mm-hmm. dated. Yeah, I get that. Uh, my number five is Richard Donner's Dig That Cat, He's Real Gone. <laughs> uh, we, we, we've talked about this episode. Uh, last one. You might remember this from number six on Sessie's list <laughs> from five minutes ago. Yeah. Um, for me, it's it, it's funny because like you have sort of story issues with that one. Like you think that like it's it's not especially surprising, mm-hmm. and that like it, it kind of you you don't know what you're supposed to take away from it. M- my issue with that episode is almost a hundred percent stylistic choices that Donner makes. That I think that there are some real. I think they're all the weird sort of like jumpy cuts that he uses in it. Um, some of the, I think um, Joey pants in the central role is really good, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of the acting around him is not necessarily living up to the bar that he is setting in that performance. Um, I will say the, the only reason why this is five on my list and not six is I do think that some of the stuff, like, some of the reflective stuff that he's doing in terms of like all these people showing up to the freak show and, you know, wanting to see this guy die. And then that reflecting back on you, the audience watching this horror show. I think that stuff is interesting to me. Um, I don't think it, it necessarily like makes a cohesive point by the end. Like it doesn't like crescendo to anything, but those scenes I think are effective in like eliciting this idea of like, Oh, am I like these grotesque Americans who are showing up, who are like lining up to like shoot at this guy? Am I like these people who are flipping the switch? Am, am I am watching mm-hmm. horror? Am I sort of party to something yeah. more grotesque? I think that's that's an interesting idea that this sort of being stabbed at in that episode. Um, but I think the stylistic choices and, and some of the plotting issues we talked about before about it being kind of... um. A, li- a little sort of uh, telegraphy. Um, and it definitely like, it's a bit padded in that it has to go through the nine lives. And so you just see sort of the same point reiterated in different, it's sort of variants on a theme for the majority of the episode. So, yeah. so those bring it down a little bit. But there are things like that performance I really liked from that episode. I, th- I think some of those themes that he's digging at are interesting. Um, but overall, that's why it lands there on my list. And inherently, once you say that there's nine lives, you're going to start counting, and right. that's going to give away the quote unquote gonna, it, twist. Right. It it's sort of giving away what the prestige is going to be. That it's like yes. you, there's a death that you're going to miss that you don't know about until yeah. it gets to the end, and then it reveals it was actually the first death you saw in the episode. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, Ceci, what is your number four? Number four for me was Lover Come Hack to Me. Um, it, I guess this is coming in kind of in the middle of the pack. And for me, it was like, is better than Man Who Was Death and Dig That Cat. Um, just because I think that it had a slightly more interesting story where you didn't see what was happening or what was going to happen um, from miles away. You, there was there was some mystery to the story. 
you, I mean, obviously it's a Tales from the Crypt episode, so you know something's going to happen, you know probably someone's going to get killed. But at the very least, I thought the story did a good job of, you don't know who's going to get killed. I mean, it's possibly going to be the guy who's plotting to kill his wife for the money, um, but <laughs> I feel like at, yeah. at the very least, the way that it was it was paced, um, it it left a little bit of mystery. And I also thought that they did a really good job where you think that maybe it's going to be a ghost story, um, but then it turns out it wasn't really a ghost story. It was more of a psycho type of deal. The the whole dream sequence is a little nonsensical when you like step back for two seconds and think about it in terms of like, why would he have this dream that would reveal the reality to him? And then like, he's just like, Oh, I had this crazy dream. He's like, Oh, well that's, that's what happened. That's the truth. You had a dream about the truth and now I'm going to kill you. And then like kind of, and we had talked about this in the episode, like there's a huge plot point that's sort of brought up in the third act of like, and like, Oh, your father was killed on the night of your conception, but that's there's no seeding of that. Like, there's no way for us to to have known that. that earlier. It's uh, as we were talking about uh, in the collection completed episode, you introduce a giant ass hammer at the beginning of the episode, and you know that that hammer is going to go off or be used. Right. Right. So Chekhov's it's, hammer. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so in Lover Come Hack. The the big twist is that the the dad was murdered by um the um protagonist's the, her, mom the, the woman's mother yeah yes and and that's sort of the twist and it's just revealed nonchalantly and never established and so it just feels like out of nowhere whereas if they had planted that earlier I feel like it would have been it it would have made a lot more sense. So I definitely give it, you know, some some points down for that because it it felt a little bit like what happens in a lot of the episodes where they're running out of time and so they have to very quickly get to the climax and that's kind of what it felt like here a little bit. Right. Um, I'm just I'm just realizing now. There's something you said that made me realize this. Five out of six episodes in this season, a woman kills their partner. Yeah. C- because. Uh, Elizabeth kills her partner at the beginning of All Through the House. I guess, no, I take that back. Four out of six. Because Dig That Cat, she ditches him. She doesn't kill him, but she does ditch. No, she does well, kill him. Well, technically she does she? kill him, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she does kill him. So yes, that one. Only Sindeep has her shooting her uh, boy toy. Mm-hmm. Lover Come Hack to Me, like that's the whole premise of it. And Collection Completed it ends in uh, a man being murdered by his wife. Yeah. So Five out of six. Yeah, five out of six. And and it, the only reason why the man who was death is that no one would date Niles Tabbitt, so... <laughs> yeah. Um, and then what, one thing that I did like about Lover Come Hack that I felt was lacking in Man Who Was Death and That Cat is that at least my biggest thing that I don't like in these types of shows is you reach the ending and you're just like, so what? And mm-hmm. I felt like... At least in this one, we reach the ending, which is, well, I guess it turns out that, you know, she killed her husband once she got impregnated. 
and that's what seemingly the women in this family do and it seems like they've been doing that for generations um and are continue to do going to continue to do so for generations to come um and so it felt a little bit more than just here we reach the end of the story and this is it um and it it felt less like that, which is what these other two episodes that I ranked lower were. They just kind of end. Right. Whereas this one, yeah. it ended because it, it reached that, you know, that point of the story. But it it does leave you thinking with, like, well, what could happen next? Right. It's a, Yeah, it, it definitely, like, sets up its world. Like, it, it weirdly, like, kind of sets up its world in its final moments of, like, oh, okay, here are the rules. And then it kind of re-contextualizes everything you've seen up to that point. Yeah. And I think to me, what I'm, what I'm realizing is that to me, a satisfying ending is an ending that lives beyond what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. And that was the biggest thing for me with Man Who Is Death and That Cat is that they just end and they don't leave you thinking or wanting more or thinking more about the world or doing anything yeah. else. They just like literally, well, this is the end of the story and that's it. And that's like, they're sort of closed a... and contained. Yeah. And there's something to be said for stories that are contained, but I still, I still want an, to me, a satisfying ending is one where you either want more or leaves you thinking more about something. Like there's gotta be something else. Um, and so I think this is the first episode, well, it's not the first episode, but, uh, I think this episode manages to do that well. Sure. Okay. All good points. Uh, my number four is Mary Lambert's collection completed. Um, a little behind the scenes. I, I had this rating written, um, and originally I had this episode and dig that cat switched. I had this at five and dig that cat at four. But then talking about it, I realized there are a lot of things in Collection Completed I really like. I like how silly it is. We talked yeah. about that in the episode, but I like how it's sort of, it's it's weird because like talking through it, I realized the content, like the things that like, this is, I think one of those, it's weirdly like on its face, it's one of those things where you don't see it as like a cultural commentary episode until you kind of dig into like what's actually going on underneath the surface of this thing. And then that, and then it reveals itself to be fairly provocative in terms of like relationships and our association with our work and all that. Um, the reason I don't have it higher, I think, for me, it it doesn't pass that test of. I think it's so silly for most of it. Um, There's no horror. That, right. Yeah, right. It's it. It's a film that was directed by a woman who had primarily up to that point worked in music videos and was written by a trio of comedy writers. And so it's just kind of, it's, it's very, I think that there's some interesting shot compositions and it's very sort of master or not masterfully. That's probably expanding, but it's very professionally made. Like it's clearly like it's someone who has a steady hand that definitely has like an image in their head of what they want the uh, episode to look like. And it, but it's just like sort of bit, bits, 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 and it doesn't like contain itself to. I think it's an idea that it has to expand itself to be a full episode of this show, if that makes sense. So I think it's an idea that is sort of a napkin pitch mm-hmm. that then you have to like 
restate ideas over and over again. And I think by the time you get to the 17th time that Jonas gets mad about something that Anita's pets are doing, it's kind of getting a little repetitive until it gets to the final action of this episode, which I think is fairly well done and creepy. Um, this is also, I think I bumped this up because that final, that shot of Jonas being stuffed on the recliner. If you do a Google's image search for tales from the crypt, that picture pops up pretty frequently <laughs> as a pretty iconic yeah. image of this show. So, uh, before we had our back when I made a Twitter account that no one was looking at, uh, that was what our initial icon was, was actually a picture of Jonas. Nice. So. Sessie, you're number three. Yeah, my number three, which might surprise you, is Only Skin Deep, which I know you didn't really like all that much. Uh, and the reason why for me it was number three uh, is because... um. It just, I don't know, I think it's a combination of me uh, liking um, the performance here uh, from Leah Thompson, even though I know you, you didn't like her weird sort of accent that she's doing. And like, yeah, I think that's, I that's just, just a fundamental like difference of opinion that's going to make her break that episode. Like if you don't, yeah, if, if you're not in my camp of thinking that's a disastrously, uh, imagined performance then you're gonna enjoy this episode a lot more than i did yeah and i could tell that it was a weird choice for her i don't know if it was her choice or maybe it was written this way or she was directed to do so but yeah i i can see that it's a weird choice but it wasn't a deal breaker for me uh Mm -hmm. i just really enjoyed her i thought she really carried the episode really well but maybe it was because as soon as i saw her i was like this is going to be good because I, I like her. So I think that I was, yeah. maybe I was predisposed to really like her uh, or to really like you're the just, episode because you're I really just, like Leah you're, Thompson. Just, you're, you're just in the tank for Leah Thompson. So yeah. You, and you, I feel, you want I her think, to do well. I think the thing is that I feel she's really underrated. And mm-hmm. so to see her in an episode. Oh, you're going to get no disagreement from there. Leah Thompson, like especially like mid to late 80s Leah Thompson is untouchable for the most part, I think. Like, yeah. Um, so yeah, I was really, really happy to see her in the episode and I thought she did a really great job carrying the entire episode. Um, and I was really feeling, (laughs) as I mentioned in the episode, I was really feeling the vibe in, uh, the Coke party. Uh, I thought that it did a really good job of sort of establishing that world. And... Yeah, I and, thought, and even the the weird pretty woman like montage that I thought was silly, especially with like all the magazines and her cutting down like all of the like different pages and circling them and thinking that was silly. Um, I still I don't know. It just it it worked for me. I guess. Yeah, you, you don't have to say any more. I mean, I think yeah. It's- it is another episode that like in talking about it, I think like, I think your um when we talk about that episode, your pain and gain comparison definitely like enlightened me to kind of like what yes. that episode might be up to more. Um, Yeah. And, and like I said, I think it's fundamentally like 
for me, the performance just does not work. But if it works for you, then there's a lot to like in that episode for sure. And as I always say, like, it, once the episode ends, you know, does it leave you thinking? And I feel like, at least for me, what this left me really thinking about, and I think you might have uh, hinted at this uh, when you said that this is one of those weird episodes with, like, it has a message, but it's, like, a weird type of message. Um, and I think I-, I can see how some of what they're saying about age is really uncomfortable. Because they're essentially saying they're equating beauty with not being old essentially especially for women specifically yeah and as a woman that is a very real thing that i worry about is that especially since i work in tech i know that once i start looking older i'm going to face a lot more discrimination um no i think that 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 is a real uh concern for women that I think men don't have the same degree of yeah. sympathy for. So I think that, that that's worth mentioning. Yeah. And so it was uncomfortable. And like now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like, okay, like I can see why they're why they're doing it. But it's yeah, it, it's just a a weird reading or interpretation like why i don't know it it also opens you up to like other things like okay so if she aged like 50 years in the course of a few days then does that mean that she's gonna die sooner like or is she going to be i don't know an 80 year old looking person for the rest of her natural life like like what yeah what is her actual fate yes yeah and i i thought at least i i thought at least that was interesting um and certainly it went in in a way where i wasn't necessarily thinking it was going to go i thought maybe the lesson was going to be that she would rather die than to give up her beauty but then it turns out that she actually was like no i rather i rather live and quote unquote be ugly than you know die with my beauty intact so she's kind of given this impossible decision of do you want to rot in prison for murder or potentially be executed or do you but have your beauty back yes or do you choose to be a pariah for the rest of your life because everyone hates old people i honestly really thought that she was gonna go for it (laughs) yeah um so i thought i thought that was interesting that at the very least um it wasn't clear cut where what she was gonna go for Mm -hmm. well cool uh that was number three right yes that's your number three What's your number three? Uh, my number three uh, is Walter Hill's The Man Who Was Death. Um, and all the things I like about this episode are all the things you do not like about this episode. <laughs> I I get what you're saying in terms of like, it is, it is, of these six episodes, it is the one that has the most distinctive look out of any of them. In that it has these sort of like, low angle almost fisheye lens sort of like perspectives and but but for me 
when you were you were saying earlier like you're like i'm not like you know this doesn't look like a traditional movie but it doesn't really look like a tv show i don't like are you going for something experimental for me it's hill really trying to tap into the pulpiness of it and trying to tap into like like when you think about like the way that horror comics might be illustrated like these sort of extreme angles and so forth um i also like um I, I, William Sadler's performance in this episode more than you do. I think he is given a character that he really chews on in a way that, you know, like, like I said in that episode, he, he shot his shot. Like they were, they were considering very big names for this role and he auditioned and um, ended up. Who was it that you said? Was it John Malkovich? It was John Malkovich and um, uh, I want to say was it Willem Dafoe? Where was the other one? I can't remember if it was um, yeah, I think it was Willem Dafoe mm-hmm. or it may have been um, who's the guy I always get him mixed up with? Um, no, I can't remember. I can look it up later. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just, I think he, it's an episode that very similar to our conversation about only send deep. It's an episode that lives or dies by his performance. Cause so much of it is him looking dead down the camera and monologuing to you. Yeah. And if you buy it, I think that episode works as sort of this story about a man who decides that he's going to take law into his own hands and then gets his just desserts. It's not surprising by any means. Like it's, one of those things where when you set up at the beginning that he's a guy who executes people with no mercy, that the only way that that can end is him getting executed. Like, there's no shock to the mm-hmm. episode at all. There's no twist. It kind of goes exactly where you're anticipating it to go. But I think that the way they get there and Sadler's performance is strong enough and the stylistic choices are interesting enough to me that I think it it sells those those sort of limited ideas bigger than they necessarily would be. The reason why it's not higher on this list is I do think it doesn't know what it's saying about the death penalty. Ultimately, like, like not only do I not know what it's saying, I don't think it knows what it's saying or is necessarily saying anything, which is worse. That you made a whole episode about a, a executioner who takes law into his own hands, and I don't know how you feel about that. At the end of the day, yeah. um, is a failure of storytelling in a in a short film like this because that's what all that's my big takeaway. I want to say from the season, these are all short films and I think it's easy. It's better to view them as that than as a piece of a entire TV show. Um, but I think if you don't have that strong statement in there, then this episode is a failure, at least on that point. So that's where I felt on that one. Great. So moving on to number two, Number two. Yeah, so number two for me was actually Collection Completed, um, which it's not just because of the animals, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Although I think immediately once I saw that the main character of Anita was this sort of like animal whisperer who was throwing a party with like what was it? A beagle and like two cats and a parrot. <laughs> yeah, animals and party hats. Like you're like, yes. this episode has my heart. It was adorable. Uh <laughs> and or she's having a heart to heart with a cat. Um, so yeah, this lady was um 
a lady after my own heart. Um, but I think what I what I liked about it is that it was very silly. And I, I enjoyed mm-hmm. it because it was different. Um, even though this is probably the least horror-like episode. There's not a lot of suspense. Um, mm-hmm. And the the climax ex- itself you don't really see anything it all kind of happens off screen uh i would say it's one of the milder episodes but i think that i i enjoyed it because it was silly um it has you know a few chuckles and it yeah it was it was just different and I would say, yeah, a- like, in just looking looking at the rankings and what I ranked just lower, which was only skin deep, I think that the reason why I ranked Collection Completed higher is because it felt, it also felt, it felt less hokey, if that makes sense. Because even with something like only skin deep, you know kind of where it's going. Sure. And with this one, you with collection completed, you know obviously something bad is gonna happen, but you don't quite know what it's going to be until the reveal at the end with the taxidermy. Mm-hmm. Um, because actually, I don't know about you, but I wasn't really thinking that he was. I knew he was clearly gonna do something with the animals, and I knew that he was gonna end up dead. But I didn't know how. Right. And nothing in the episode really led me to think that he was going to start taking up taxidermy and then start stuffing all the animals. Which, you know, I guess I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing since we keep talking about, like, Chekhov's gun. Um, well, I think, I mean, I think that, that that's a that's a dramatist rule for a reason. Like, I think... Yeah. There's there's nothing that makes me matter than when you establish a weapon is in the house and then nothing happens with it. Like, and I don't know if it's because I know about Chekhov's gun or not, but I saw a movie semi recently where it's very it's established early on that this collection of girls has a revolver and it never comes back up in the episode in the movie, and it makes me so mad. Why did you set it up? And um, it it's just it's just lazy. Yeah. If you if you're gonna introduce a danger into the story and it doesn't come back in, yeah. It's it's lazy and unsatisfying, and I think that as um, blatant as the foreshadowing is in this episode, it's still fun. Like when it comes back around, mm-hmm. y- you're excited. You're not like, and of course, like it's it's a fun moment. Yeah, and I I think that's why I liked it from like a a tone perspective. It's different. It's like it's an episode where you know everybody was having fun. Yeah, and sure. it it really was going more for this idea, I think, of closing down the season on a high note and on like a lighter note. Mm-hmm. So, well, and like, yeah. like we talked about, it has a sillier crypt keeper intro. Like, it definitely it, it is going more lighthearted. Than, yeah, um, especially like the couple episodes right before it. Yeah, I thought it was very cheeky. So I think maybe that's mm-hmm. why I it is. It, it is extreme. It has a great word for that episode. Is cheeky. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I guess, I guess it's kind of on brand for myself to, to really 
um, really like an episode where, where there's a, a lady who's like really into animals. Hey, what speaks to you speaks to you. Yeah. I'm sure if there's an episode of the show that has a RoboCop in it, I'll love it. <laughs> um, my number two for the first season of Tales from the Crypt is Spider-Man's own Lover Come Hack to Me. Um, yeah, this, I think, I think the reason why I like this episode so much is this is much more what I thought this show was going to be, mm-hmm. is kind of exploitative, kind of sleazy horror romps that kind of pull you through, through, you know, TNA and some, uh, really like over the top but effective what's the crypt keeper doing in the impact zone right right (laughs) but i think it's it's a it's a really it's a really schlocky gross horror yeah and i really and i really like after having watched because i think this is episode five Mm -hmm. so after watching four episodes i was like what like this is the show that was had to be on HBO and like this, like there are a couple boobs in the man who was death. But other than that, it's like all these episodes with a little language editing could definitely be on network television. Um, and so I didn't get what the big deal was. And then this episode just goes for it in a, in a big way. Yeah. And, and I think that that because of, because everything else had been a little more diluted, you, you kind of chalked it up to potentially budgetary reasons. But for whatever whatever the reason is, this episode like I think fulfills a lot of the sort of uh, unstated potential of what a Tales from the Crypt episode can be, and being kind of gross and and have this tension. Like this is an episode where like I think of these six episodes, this is the one where I was the least confident that I knew what direction it was going to go in. Yes, I, like, would I was like, is one of them going to be a monster? is is he looking to kill her is she looking to kill him like what like what is anybody's motives like there's an immediate tension so you know something bad is coming and they're constantly like setting the stage of the different things that could happen and like the pieces are all put into place and And that's actually uh sorry i i just realized that like the whole the entire see the reason why there's a long sex scene here in this episode is i think because they're building so much suspense and then boom you get this scene leading up to the climax of the episode (laughs) but well and you're expecting something bad to happen within the sex itself yeah like and so when it doesn't there's this weird tension of like and then he sees her running with this other guy and then that ends up being a dream and then she reveals that it's true like it it picks up steam really well at the end of the episode i think yeah, it definitely really is a sort of a. It does a really good job with the pacing, um, mm-hmm. and one thing that I guess I didn't really appreciate until now is how it really does keep you guessing because you don't really know what type of you know it's a horror, but you don't know what type of horror. Exactly. Right? Yes. It, yeah. There's. There's so many, like, you don't know if this is a haunted house story. Is yes. this a monster story? Like, what is the actual, like, gimmick of this thing going to be? And then when it reveals itself, and it's actually fairly mundane, all things considered. Mm-hmm. But it's still, like, cre- like the, the family tradition part of it is creepy. And it's, yeah. just, it's just, 
there's a creeping dread that I think this episode uh, elicits really well because you don't know what's coming next. And so I think the reason why it falls short for me is some of those plot reasons I said, like, you know, there are a couple things you could establish earlier that might be tipping your hand. That mm-hmm. might be one of those things where it's like, well, if you say that, that might be tipping something to the yeah. audience about what's coming up. But I, I think it is just one of those things where like, there's that just one moment where it's like, oh, he died before she w- was born because he died on the night she was conceived. It was like, bro, I did not know this information. <laughs> like you're conveying a, a lot to me all at once. Yeah. Um, so that's the only thing that some of those slight plot issues I have, but like tone, acting, execution, all that stuff I think is exactly what I'm looking for in this show. So I think this means that we agreed on number one. Yeah, so the undisputed number one episode of the, season, of the first season, The Tales from the Crypt, is And All Through the House. Yes. Uh, made by late Robert 80s Zemeckis. Bobby Zemeckis is a banger of an episode of Tales from the Crypt. Yes. It really is the most polished one. And it really it just starts, you know? There's like yeah. no setup whatsoever. And I really like that. It just wastes no time. And it's and it's clean, like you know, like kind of what I was saying earlier about like you know, I I I found myself enjoying the sleazier episodes more than the social commentary episodes. Like this is like such a simple concept. There is a killer Santa on the loose. This woman has killed her husband, and so she has to cover up both the murder of her husband and protect herself from the evil Santa. Like that's such a clean, easy premise, and it gets so much mileage out of it. Yeah, through a great lead performance, um, from Mary Ellen Trainer from just beautiful direction from Zemeckis. Like I know I keep harping on the different directors. Like really I'm a big auteur theory uh, person. You can really feel it in this episode this from episode the very is, first is, shot. It is in a master's hands. Yeah. Uh, if I, if I can say that, like it is in somebody who is at the height of their career is like in the pocket, like knows exactly what he's doing. And you know, that's, that's the thing about like, the th- the reason why Zemeckis ended up being so attracted to CGI is because he's such a meticulous shot creator mm-hmm. that the appeal of CGI to him was like, I don't have to like do shit with people. <laughs> like, I don't have to like, like set mm-hmm. anything up. I can make the shot look exactly as it is in my head. No, they look like nightmare people, which is where <laughs> it kind of falls apart. Maybe that is what they look like in his head. Maybe that, maybe Robert Zemeckis sees us all as nightmare looking people. But he's yeah like there's just like just tiny little touches here and there like that just put it over the top as i think inarguably the best episode of this season and this episode actually kind of breaks the rule for me of a satisfying ending is an ending that doesn't just end right but i think this is because the entire episode works so well that even though you kind of have this ending of like the guy, the Santa, I guess is going to kill the mother and you kind of don't really know what's going to happen to the little girl. Right. The but, only reason why you know that their little girl's fine is because yeah. keeper like steps in the tell you like, hey, hey, hey. Everything's We're two cool. episodes in on this show, but don't worry. The girl's going to be fine. Yeah. And so from that perspective, the episode does just end without there being anything more to the story and anything else to kind of 
think about, but I think it works in this case because the rest of the episode is so well done. It's just masterfully done. Yeah. It, it is a is a tightly wound piece of popcorn entertainment mm-hmm. that from beginning to end, just like like I when we recorded our episode, I had a couple issues with like the final beats of the episode. Um but that's all excusable because everything up to that point is perfect. Like it's like there are, there are stretches of this episode that are, I think, unequivocally perfect in terms of like what it's just trying to do. Um, yeah. I honestly feel like if I were teaching a course on TV directing, I would probably show this episode. Oh yeah. I mean this, yeah, this is beyond. Yeah. Like, this is again this is a film director making an episode of television um and i think it it kills in that department no pun intended <laughs> so yeah well and that's our that's our you know various top sixes i yeah i like the show i'm glad we're still doing this yeah. i i think after the first two i I wasn't concerned. Per- well, not for the second one, but like we kind of got into it. Like, you know, when we we're talking about it, I think it's a show that has a lot of integrity to it, which is a weird thing to say about a schlocky horror show, but it, it definitely like, it just kind of gives people space to do whatever. And from that perspective, I think it creates space to make things that can be really special and really, unique um i hope that that trend keeps up i hope that's not just because they're throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks i'm hoping that that tone of independence and freedom for storytellers keeps up but based on this first season that is the thing i take away that i've really enjoyed yeah i guess i think i was a little concerned with uh that cat because after i saw that that was just so lackluster for me that sure i just didn't really know um but i think the last few episodes really made up for it yeah the the back half of the season really kind of bolstered your yeah i think yeah definitely and i do still think that i i think they went kind of soft on this first season so i'm hoping that we get more i don't know shocking or more i don't know just more <laughs> in the mm-hmm. coming seasons um, well, we t- we're certainly getting more episodes so this season was only six episodes probably because it was sort of yeah. an experiment yeah that's kind of what makes me think that they were trying just testing the waters um so that i i have higher hopes for the next season yeah um taking a quick look forward uh next season is where we get the directorial debut of one arnold schwarzenegger as in the second episode of season two wow Uh, we have another episode directed by tom holland so i'm officially looking forward to that nice uh not that tom holland an episode directed by walter hill that has lance henriksen in it um so, well, we'll keep a running count of how many women kill their partners. <laughs> as we yeah, go that into... might be interesting. 
Um, but uh, for now, thank you for listening. If you're out there and you want to let us know what your if you've been watching along and listening and want to tell us what your top six and what order it is, you know, Twitter's always there. Twitter's, you know, this is going to be in the past, but I just wrote an article today about how Twitter is a great place to talk about films and movies and whatnot. Uh, so you can hit us up there. Uh, we're at Crip Speakers. I am Jay the Cake Thief. And I'm at Sussy Korea. Um, we want to say thank you to Molly Fancher for our intro and outro music, Mr. N. You can find them on Bandcamp. Um, and as always, you know, let folks know what you think about the show. Let us know what you think about the show. Um, as long as it's nice, please be nice. Please be at least be constructive. I can't take people being mean at me. It makes me very sad. Um, but with all that said, see you next time, kitties. Yeah.